don't get me wrong. I I really loved the book. I mean, I thought it was it was you know very very well written. And one one measure of um, how well written a book is, or how good the story is, is how much you uh, feel for the characters. And I was completely invested. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescu, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. Before I welcome my guest today, let me mention what I've been reading. I recently completed reading, or actually listening, to The British Are Coming, The War for America, Lexington to Princeton, 1775 to 1777, by Rick Atkinson. This is the first volume in a planned trilogy on the Revolution. It covers in great detail large numbers of the battles. I was reminded that this was our first civil war, that it was impossible for the English to conduct the war from thousands of miles away, that Washington himself found it difficult to keep our soldiers warm, to keep them fed, to get them paid, and therefore to keep them in his employ. I was reminded as well that it really did all get started in Boston with the Tea Party. Lots of lessons to be explored another time. Dave gave me, and I read, Fareed Zakaria's 10 Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World. Zakaria discusses the resilience of cities, the strength of America, and the positive aftermath of certain prior plagues. As he puts it, Plagues have consequences, and they're not all bad. Zakaria also talks of the need to recognize the contributions of essential workers of all kinds. He warns about growing inequalities and of potential global conflicts. A very thoughtful and sometimes troubling discussion. I next read and loved A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life by George Saunders. Great book, chosen by James Conrad of the Golden Notebook Bookstore in Woodstock for our book club. This is an abridged version of the writing class that Saunders has been teaching for several decades at Syracuse University. I felt like a student, as I frequently do, and we got to read seven short stories by Tolstoy, Chekhov, and others that are included in Saunders' book. And then Saunders analyzes the stories and provides his perspectives on writing. In one of the passages, Saunders writes that the Russians seem to regard fiction not as something decorative, but as a vital moral ethical tool. They changed you when you read them, made the world seem to be telling a different, more interesting story, a story in which you might play a meaningful part and in which you had responsibilities. Really great. Then there is also the Tea Book Club from the New York Times. This month, we read Passing by Nella Larson, a 1929 novel about the racial, economic, and social tensions of the times. Really interesting read, especially in light of the challenging biracial experience of the author herself. Lots to think about. Also lots to think about after reading Bernard Malmud's 1971 novel, The Tenants. I took this one from my Aunt Mickey's bookshelf, remembering how much I loved The Natural, Malmud's great novel about baseball. 
The tenants covers lots of territory. Black and Jew racial tension, unfulfillment, and to my surprise, the tenants referred to in the title are both writers. A lot of the book is about the benefits and burdens of writing. Willie Spearman, the black protagonist, imprisoned for housebreaking and robbery, starts reading to take his mind off the soul-destroying prison. And while he was reading, he was inspired to write and says, from then on, I'm not afraid of the fucking prison because I'm out of it as much as I'm in it. I'm in my imagination. I'm continuing to think about all of this. I also read Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, which was another recent selection of the Golden Notebooks Book Club. It's also the book I asked my friend Jim Finnegan to discuss with me today. On episode three of my podcast, Jim and I had a terrific discussion of over 30 works of both fiction and nonfiction. Jim, I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Howard. I'm happy to be back. I'm hoping to uh, play Buddy Hackett to your uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, <laughs> Very few people will know who you're referring to. Well, if, if there's an older crowd there, uh, maybe they'll get it. Very impressive um, list of books that you've read recently. Um, I just want to comment on The Natural, yeah. uh, which I loved. And uh, the movie was great, uh, if you saw it. Yes. Um, but the, the ending, uh, while... Uh, cinematic triumph was the complete opposite of what happened in the in the book. Roy Hobbs struck out. Um, <laughs> he did not hit the home run. It didn't uh, bring down the light tower and, and uh, set off all the fireworks. But the movie was the movie was great nonetheless. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, but like Casey, he struck out another exactly. another obscure great. reference. So on Shuggy Bain. So Shuggy Bain is a tough book, uh, but I thought a great read. Uh, it's really a brutal tale of growing up gay in working class, poor Glasgow, Scotland during the 1980s, a broken family, an alcoholic mother, anger, sadness, lack of hope, despair, dependence. And at one point, Shuggy's older brother reflects on his sadness and his anger and says, sadness was better than the anger he felt. Sadness made for a better house guest. At least it was quiet, reliable, consistent. And one of the other characters reflects on the hopelessness of them all, saying, if ye hope, ye also mope. And while reading Shuggy, uh, I thought of Angela's Ashes, which I read so many years ago. That's Frank McCourt's 1996 memoir, uh, where he talks about growing up in grinding poverty in a slum in Limerick, Ireland, and refers himself uh, to his memoir as his epic of woe. I read, I read fiction, I read nonfiction. A lot of times I read fiction to get away from it all, uh, to create an environment in which I'm not thinking about today's news. Was Shuggy Bain a good pandemic read for you? Uh, you know, I, unlike you, most of my reading is fiction. I'd probably read, you know, one nonfiction for every nine uh, novels that I read. That's, that's always been my, uh, my reading experience. Um, you know, any book, uh, during the pandemic is, is a good book because it, it helps pass the time. We haven't, you know, we, we, we don't do anything. We don't, uh, we don't get out of the house much and we don't go to movies. We don't go to plays. Um, and, and so reading is a great, um, is, is a great enjoyment. Um, the, the book, I, a, a friend of mine who passed away years ago, Jeff Warnick would have loved this book. Because he liked any book 
that was written about people whose lives were horrible because it made him feel better about his own life, which, you know, he was a successful lawyer, but he wasn't married. And I don't know what he didn't, some reasons didn't think he had a great life. Um, so to that extent, uh, this maybe was a good book to read during the pandemic, because you're right, it is unendingly, uh, brutally sad. Uh, it, it's just one bad thing after another. And um, maybe in reading it, you can, you know, I could think, well, things could be a lot worse. You know, I'm, I have a family, uh, I have an intact family. We don't have any problems with poverty or drug or alcohol addiction. So maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a good book to read during times like this. That's not the highest praise for a book, but um, but but I think you're right. Uh, we look at ourselves in relation to others uh, probably all the time, but uh, when you're reading, uh, that's probably true as well. Uh, and certainly in relation, when we see the problems uh, of our not so distant neighbors uh, in in New York, in the New York area, uh, the pandemic is uh, one degree of difficulty and trouble and woe for many, especially those who have lost their jobs or had terrible illness and, and death in the family. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I really loved the book. I mean, I thought it was, it was, you know, very, very well written. And one, one measure of um, how well written a book is or how good the story is, is how much you uh, feel for the characters. And I was completely invested in in Shuggy. I you know I, I really wanted him to uh, to have a happy life to, to, to for things to work out and when uh, and, and and for his mother too for Agnes uh, that one uh, brief maybe it was a little more than a year or so where she was sober um, I thought wow she's you know uh, she's really doing well here. She had a job, and uh, she felt good about herself. And I thought this could be it. This, you know, maybe maybe things will turn out well. And of, of course, it didn't. And and so um, he uh, really made me feel for these characters, and and they were all every one of them so well drawn. And it's not just uh, Agnes and Shuggy or Big Shug and, and his his half brother and half sister, but the people who lived in Pit Down, his grandparents, um, it, it, they were all so well drawn. Uh, so I, I agree with all of that, uh, including that um, the sign of a good book is whether you're invested in the characters. And also, I think a sign of a good book is whether you continue thinking about it afterwards and wonder what happened next. And one of the interesting things about the way this book is written is you find out what happens next before you read the story. Yes, yes. Um, it did start when he was, I guess, Shuggy was 15 or so living on his own. And then you go back in time and see how he wound up there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, way to set the... Uh, uh, the time of the of the novel. So now when I read a novel, what I like to do, but I, I fail at doing this, is to just read it through. Uh, and if there's a word I don't understand, I try to pick it up in the context. And I, let, I like to let the story flow. What I've begun to do, maybe it was during the pandemic, might have been before, 
is I take notes when I read. And I didn't want to do it with Shuggy Bane. And I may have told Carol, I'm not going to do it. But to begin with, there were so many interesting places that were referred to and so many, so many characters. And I wanted to make sure I understood how the characters were related to each other. And at some point, I might even draw a family tree. But there were also, I counted, uh, because as I said, we read this in a uh, book club uh, with the Golden Notebook in, in Woodstock. And um, I made notes about the words I didn't understood, and I looked them up. There were 125 definitions that I looked up, which is crazy wow. to do. Yeah, it's crazy to do. But if you do it while you're going through it, it's not that big a deal. And it And some of them, I could have gotten the words from the context and others not. But it was fascinating because the, the author really provided a historical context for the 1980s, and in, in uh, you know, which is Thatcher's England and uh, and Scotland. Well, that, that's funny because I um, I don't know about 10 years ago I picked up um, my original copy of Lolita, and I had read that probably in I don't know maybe 1975, and it's a paperback. So it was 35 years old, and I'm reading it, and I had underlined mm -hmm. words that I did not know the meaning of. And believe me, there were a lot of words in there that some of which I still didn't, I still didn't remember, <laughs> uh, most of which I did because I guess I came across them, uh, you know, more subsequently. But uh, w what I do with um, a book like this is uh, I want to know how old people are and when they're bouncing around in um, uh, in time, I will write in the margin, um, like Agnes was, I think, 35, 38, when, um, when the book starts, when they go back, when Shuggy was, was five. And because I, 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 I want to know I want to know what, you know, when things, when things happened and, and, and how old people are. And I also try to figure out the geography the, of where they are. I'm not familiar. I, I don't know. I've never been to Glasgow. So I looked at a map of Glasgow and figured out where Sight Hill was, which was their, which was the uh, apartment tower that they lived in. And then got an idea of where Pit Down or whatever that, that, that place was called where they moved to. Because I, I I want to get a sense of the place. Now, if it's if the if the book is set in New York City, I don't need to do that. But if it's set in a place that I'm not familiar with, um, I like to be able to orient myself. Yeah, it gives you a context, especially yeah. especially when you identify you, you get an understanding of ages, which is what I was trying. I was trying to do something similar when I was thinking about the family tree, and when I made my notes and I talked about an individual uh, who was referred to in context as. Uh, the first husband who wasn't ma uh, mentioned, or or, or uh, another member of the family, it put put things in context. And you yeah. you, you referred to um, Shuggy's two half brothers, excuse me, half siblings. And I had forgotten right. that they were the children of a prior marriage. And then one of the saddest part, not one of the saddest part of the entire book, and maybe we shouldn't give anything away, but was when. Um, Shuggy's father uh, was it when Big Shug or was it was it his Big father? Shug, yeah. yeah, came came home from the war and discovered there was oh, another. Oh no, 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 no! That that's her. That's uh, Wooly or Willie. Yeah, Wooly? yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was that was an amazing. Go, go ahead and describe. Well, de- devastating. Um, uh, when he comes home from the war and finds out his wife had had an affair and there was a, a baby there and he takes the baby out in the baby's carriage and comes back without the baby and is asked what happened to the baby. And he says, what baby? Just yeah, that- chilling. Absolutely chilling. She, uh, it was not only an affair, she was trading yes 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 she was it was during world war ii i guess there was and so she was sleeping with the baker or the the grocer or someone but but right an affair is the wrong word she she was trading sex for food doing it just to to feed herself and and her daughter yeah Uh, and that agnes learned about that i think on a father's deathbed she had never heard that the mother told her that and uh and uh, the father had seemed like such a stand-up guy throughout the, you know, the whole book. And then you find out he did this. Just took the baby in the carriage, uh, smiling out the door, and came back a couple hours later without the baby. Now, in the book club discussion, there were those who said, well, maybe he took the baby to a foster home. Well, maybe not. So Yeah, I mean, there's no... Is you'd like to believe that, right? Uh, yeah, there's uh, no hint that he uh, that he did anything. You don't know what he did. He could have thrown the baby in the River Clyde. That, uh, you'd like to believe that, but I don't. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, the characters I thought were terrific. I thought it was a great read. The characters were terrific. The story was terrific, sad as it was. Uh, it certainly was a diversion. Uh, and uh, I think there was a lot to learn from the book. So, um, Well, it, it, the uplifting part about it um, was Shuggy's unconditional love for his mother. And yes. What he, you know, he wound up becoming a caregiver for her. And, uh, you know, he's, he's suffering because he's effeminate, um, you know, doesn't know, doesn't know what he is, thinks he's normal, um, but everybody else thinks he's not. And, and he's, he's abused and picked on and bullied by the kids in that, in that uh, godforsaken uh form a miners town and yet he's got to take and he's you know he's six seven eight years old he's got to take care of his mother who's you know drunk half the time and has strange men coming in and um and 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 he doesn't stop he just you know he's he sticks by her uh his his uh, half sister had to get away and, and married a guy who i don't think she really loved but went to south africa with him to get as far away as possible and would not give uh, her mother, uh, her address or phone number, and then Leek, the 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 older the the other son, uh, was finally driven out by her. She screamed at him, told him to get out, and he left. And uh, but but Shuggy stayed and and did what he could. So I mean that's you know that's really uplifting. It's uplifting. It's admirable. It, it it's terribly unfortunate, of course. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. just awful. So have you read other books that you would compare to Shuggy Bane? As I said, I, I thought of Angela's Ashes and Frank McCourt, also such a great writer. Well, I I think I might be the only Irish-American person who reads extensively never to have read Angela's, Angela's Ashes. I, I have it in my house someplace. I read the sequel, which is Teacher Man. For some reason, I never got around to Angela's Ashes. But um, one book that uh, may, on the surface, not seem similar, and in many ways it's not, that I read uh, last year was also a Booker Prize winner. 
uh, Milkman by Anna Byrne. And uh, that was somewhat of an experimental novel. It was a story of uh, a family living in an unnamed city, which is clearly Belfast. And uh, there are no names given. She, the, the protagonist, uh, we don't know her name. She's referred to as middle daughter throughout. <laughs> and then you have second youngest daughter and youngest daughter and oldest brother. The, the, the names are, they're all descriptions of what their relationship is to each other. And um, she lives in Belfast and it is divided between Catholic and Protestant. And you, you, you take your life into your hands if you go, go into the wrong neighborhood, if you're seen with the wrong person. And it, 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 it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It took me a little bit to get into it because it, it really is sort of weirdly written. But um, other than the lack of names, it's a relatively straightforward narrative. But there is that element in, um, in Shuggie Bain. It, it's, not, it's not the principal theme, which is, you know, uh, drugs and abuses and, and uh, gay children and poverty. But there is the split between Protestant and Catholic. Uh, yep. Agnes and her family, they're Catholic. Agnes's first husband was a Catholic. And uh, he was a, a, a nice man, but he was dull. And, um, and there's a great line. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. But Agnes, for those who haven't read the book, is stunningly beautiful. She's, she looks like Elizabeth Taylor. She's, and even when she's, when she's down and out, she wants to look right. She puts her stockings on. She puts her makeup on and, 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 and tries to look good. So she's, she's gorgeous. And her husband is kind of a schlump. Um, I forget his name. It's an Irish name. And he's a nice man, as how would you would agree most Irish people are. Absolutely. Um, I don't know about and, I'm most. I, I don't know who you're excluding by saying most, but yes. <laughs> I know a few. Um, <laughs> so there's this line. He's a schlump. She's a knockout. And when they would come into a room together, other women seeing this slump with this knockout are thinking he's got to have something going on. And it's more, they're thinking sexually that, you know, he's got to be well endowed or he's got to be a stallion or he's got to. So she leaves him. She, she, she walks out. His name, uh, by the way, is Brendan McGowan. Okay. Brendan McGowan. And um, she is uh, seduced by Big Shug, who's a, he's a cab driver and he's a, you know, man about town. Uh, and she's just looking for some excitement and just takes the two kids and goes with them. And the parents are really upset because she's now, not only did she leave her husband, but now she's with a Protestant and they wind up having to live with, with the parents. And then there's another scene where uh, the daughter doesn't want to come home because she knows the mother's drunk and her brother, her full brother, is not home. She, she goes off looking for the brother and she gets attacked by a gang of hoodlums and they put a knife to her throat and ask her, do you root for the Rangers, which is the Protestant team, or the Celtic, which is the Catholic team? And if she gave the wrong answer, she worried she was going to have a throat cut. So in reading this and, and, and focusing on the the religious um, division there, which I don't really think of as being a, a big deal in Scotland. I thought Scotland was almost all Protestant, but I guess I'm, at least Glasgow is not. Uh, it did remind me of Milkman. 
Interesting. And did you mention ironweed as well? Ironweed, yes. I I read that a long time ago. William Kennedy is part of the Albany Trilogy. And uh, and that follows a a drunk through his wanderings through uh, uh, Albany and his various relations with people. I think that was it was made into a movie. And and that's a great trilogy. Uh, It's Ironweed, Billy Phelan's greatest game and i can't remember what the third one was but because the focus there was on uh, on uh, alcoholism and how devastating it is um, that reminded me of it and and i should say this personally this this book was really uh devastating my second oldest brother tommy moved to uh, england i don't know 35 years ago and developed a uh, a drinking problem, and it got worse and worse. Uh, he he had a good job, and he lost his job, and he his life was horrible. He he would come in every once in a while, try to clean himself up. Came in for my mother's 90th birthday, and wound up going to the hospital. He came in a couple of months later for Thanksgiving, wound up going to the hospital. Uh, my brother Kevin visited him, and he said he just looked horrible. And we would he would be taken to the emergency room you know, every couple of months with seizures, and he finally died. And this was a guy who was smart, good-looking, funny, and uh, his life was ruined by, by drink. And so reading this was was uh, more painful, perhaps, to me than maybe to most people. Yeah, well, personal connection. So what else have you read during the pandemic? Well... I the most recently uh, right now I'm reading the Banishing Half, which is uh, a bestseller. It's about two twins who ran away from uh, from home when they were 16. I'm about halfway through it. It's very very good. Um, I had uh, just finished the Shadow King by Maza Benjuste, and it's a it's a novel about um, the uh, the invasion of Ethiopia in 1935 by Italy and focusing mostly on the role that women played in the Ethiopian resistance. And it was, it was really good. Before you get too far from the vanishing half. So the vanishing half is uh, written by um, Britt Bennett. When the tea book club had the book club meeting of, uh, to talk about passing the book I mentioned it was right. uh, ben, uh, Britt Bennett who did the presentation. She gave the talk, and she was oh. she was really terrific. Uh, it was very interesting. I didn't know her. I had heard of the Vanishing Half, but I, I didn't had not paid any attention to it. And I gather there is um, uh, a pa- if I remember correctly, a passing episode in the Vanishing Half itself. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's. A, I haven't gotten to that point. That's alluded to. It's really. It's interesting because the um, this town, this fictional town in Louisiana, is all African American, but they are all white looking. Mm-hmm. They they have intermarried and done whatever they can do to preserve uh, to, to to bleach themselves, um, but not not to pass as white, but. Uh, and, and one of the twins comes back with her daughter. She had married a, a dark-skinned African-American, and the daughter is very dark, and she stands out in the town and is 
she is shunned by everybody because mm-hmm. she's black and the others, even though they're African-American, are not. So, so far, it's very good. Um, I read Deacon King Kong, James McBride, and that reminded me in many ways of um, the uh, Pope of Greenwich Village, which was a, uh, I think Vince Patrick, I think, read, wrote that. Uh, I probably read that 40 years ago. And it's, it's sort of a comic look at a, a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And um, that I really enjoyed that. I read Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, which was. Uh, I, love, I love that, actually. Yeah, it, I mean, I don't know how to I don't know how to describe that. Right, it was it was really strange, but so good, uh, and it gave you a you know I think now the the anti Asian discrimination is is uh, more in the forefront because of all the attacks based on the you know blaming them for the uh, pandemic. But ordinarily, I wouldn't have thought about this. And when you when you read that, you see there really is a uh, there's certainly a feeling uh, based on actuality of discrimination and and holding them down. You don't think about that, but uh, it, it was so it was it was eye opening. It really was when yeah, you think about yeah. the way uh, Asian people are portrayed, which is really what the book was about. Portrayed yeah. uh, on TV and in Hollywood, uh, it, it's clear that um, the roles are assigned, or it certainly yeah. appears that the roles are assigned based on uh, the fact that these individuals are Asian, and and there's a has been a limit to what an Asian actor can do. I thought yeah. the book was, as I said, eye opening. I thought it was very well yeah, done. I, it was an unusual format. You, oh you, my re- God! You couldn't. <laughs> you didn't know. Is it real life or is he back in the movie? Right. And, uh, right. It was, but nonetheless, I, I, uh, all of these books that I've read, um, Santa Claus brought me. My wife does a great job every year uh, of of getting me books, and um, uh, she was excited for me to read that because she thought having read reviews of it, she thought it was really unusual and. She thought I would like it. I really did. That was great. So go back to Ironweed for one second. Uh, it's Ironweed, right? I, Ironweed. I, I, I can go back for one second, but I can't tell you much more about it than I already did. Well, so no, I was most interested in, um, so here you had uh, this uh, really difficult and horrible experience with your brother. Did you know what Ironweed was about and and did you read it? You you read it after your brother passed away, I guess. No, 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 no. Uh, I read this. I, that's why I, I, I can't tell you much more than I, I probably read it 30 years ago. Got it. 35 years ago, maybe. Uh, no, I did. I, uh, I did not. No. Right. In any event, that must've been very difficult. The circumstance. Yeah. And yeah, I think when you, when you read, you, you don't read, particularly novels, you don't read them in a vacuum. You know, you bring your own experiences to it. And uh, in some cases, you can relate to one of the characters because, you know, you have some of the same qualities or you wish you had some of the same qualities or uh, you can see one of your friends or relatives in a a character or maybe you've been in some of these situations. And and so, um, you know, it's not unusual to... Now, reading the book, the the uh, the Shadow King, 
I didn't relate to anybody because I was not around in 1935 and I've never been to Ethiopia. But there are, <laughs> um, you know, there are plenty of other books where, you know, you can just relate to what's going on. In it. Yeah. Adds to the richness of the experience. Now, you say you don't read or you generally do not read nonfiction, but you, like me, are waiting for Robert Caro to come out with the fifth volume of his LBJ biography. Yes. I, well, you were kind enough to bring me to his lecture at the, um, the New York Historical Society, which was really, uh, it was great because uh, to see the great man and see that he is alive and looking well. Yes. Because uh, uh, he's still got work ahead of him. But I was just talking to my brother today about uh, about Carol, and he said he was rereading um, uh, the Power Book, and he had forgotten, because he read it as I did in 74, 75, whenever it came out, and he had forgotten how nasty um, Moses was to his brother, which I had forgotten too, and he had, he had uh, uh, stolen his inheritance and kicked him out of jobs, and and as an aside, if you haven't seen Motherless Brooklyn, you should see it because it's it's uh, Alec Baldwin plays a Robert Moses character, and, and the movie is terrific. But in any event, he said that when Carol was writing about uh, Moses's brother, he says he concludes by saying, "I'm not sure how much of this is is actually true, or how much of it is is just uh, anger from his brother." You know, there's if you can't support it with documentation, he's just not sure. So Kevin, and, and I think in the book, he said that Moses's brother died in 1967. And the book came out in 1974. So at least seven years earlier, Harrow was interviewing Moses's brother. So Kevin tells me that. And he says, we're never going to see the first <laughs> volume. He's never going to get it done. Well, he takes about 10 or more years for each volume. It, it, yeah. Uh, and the last one came out in 2012, I think. So we're due. So, we're due. So we're due. And this is only now from it. it, it it'll really be from 64 to, to 69. And then he's got. I think he died in 73. But there's not much after his presidency. So it's mostly Vietnam. Right. Well, he wanted to go back to Vietnam. Carol wanted to go back to Vietnam. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I don't know if he did or if the pandemic interfered with that, but we'll just yeah. have to continue to wait. But Jim, you're, you're, you're the first guest I've had as a repeat guest. I insist we do this in another, <laughs> no longer than another year from now. I am always willing and able. Um, just give me enough uh, advance notice and um, I'm happy to do it. It is. It was better doing it live, yes. um, frankly, but uh, this was fun. Yeah, and it's great. Happy to do it again. Well, thank you very much. Okay, talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Right. Take care. Follow us on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, on Instagram and Twitter at bookwormsitw, and on Facebook at Bookworms in the Wild. And message me to tell me what you're reading or email me at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, which also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design 
for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Melanie has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse. Almost two-year-old Jakey continues to encourage the podcast, as well as to delight us all. Life is grand for Jake, as it should be. Jake's cousin Bop is about to join the squad any minute now. Bop should actually be on the production team by the time we publish this episode. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. And thanks as well to AJ Falari, who is working on the editing with me. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments, either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.